the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program, as we love to say, with you in mind, where we try to ask and find answers to the questions that you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. Would love to take your questions about history, about current events, about prophecy. If you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And of course, producer Jim will pick up the phone. He'll ask you what your question is. We'll make every effort to get your question on the air. It's almost uh, you know, impossible to ignore what's going on in this great big world. Um, the headlines, of course, have been dominated by what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. And even for the last couple of days, I have uh, made some points about how do we think about what's going on? How do we um, ask and answer the question about what may happen? And of course, the president and several lawmakers and several world leaders have been asking the question about what's going on in Putin's mind. What is his state of mind? And there's been a repeated response from people like the president of the United States and the um, press secretary who basically say, how am I supposed to know what's going on in Vladimir Putin's mind? Um, But what we have to do is evaluate his actions. But I think it is okay to ask that question. Is it possible to do at least a little bit of analysis? And like I said, my friend Joel Rosenberg has written extensively about this and has posted at allisraelnews.com. There's also another interesting, interesting outlet. It's not conservative by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's called A Simulated President's Daily Brief on Putin and the Ukraine. And um, it's by Brianna Rosen at JustSecurity.org, JustSecurity.org. Now, again, the the principals who are doing the analysis are not conservative by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, several of the board members of um, served in previous uh, Democratic administrations. Brianna Rosen, who uh, wrote the article, is a senior fellow at Just Security. She was previously the policy engagement manager at the Oxford Institute for Ethics, Law, and Armed Conflict. And prior to that, she served for a decade in the United States government, including at the White House National Security Council and the office of the vice president. So she has some very, very 
I think, insightful and important things to say. I'll get to it a little bit later. 303-873-1935. That's the number. Let's see who's up. Uh, John, welcome to the program. Hi, John. So, Luke 16 died. Uh-huh. What so, would you like to know? Uh, well, can you go with the verse for a minute? Sure. In one translation, um, the, it says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, you may receive, that they may receive you into an everlasting home. So you've thought a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually have. Uh, can you tell us what it means? <laughs> sure. Um, when he says, I'm going to read from a different translation. I tell you, use worldly wealth. This is from the ESV. I, I tell, this is Jesus speaking. Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Another uh, translation says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by how you use worldly wealth, so that when it runs out, you'll be welcomed into the eternal homes. So Jesus' statement about using worldly wealth to gain friends comes at the end of a parable. That's parable is, of course, found in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And so the thought of using mammon or unrighteous wealth to make friends in the world strikes. So when you're reading it, there's just this discord. It's sort of like improper. And so when you're reading it, it seems odd, just like why you're calling probably. So the, the in order to sort of answer your question when we look at the parable of the unjust steward it's told for the benefit of the disciples okay the parable is a little unorthodox the setting is unusual in most of jesus's parables the the protagonist represents god christ or some other uh positive character in this parable all the characters are wicked the steward and the man whose possessions he manages are both pretty unsavory characters Jesus isn't exhorting us to emulate these people's behavior. Rather, he's trying to teach a spiritual principle. So in the parable, a rich man calls his steward and informs him that he's going to be fired for mismanaging the resources, the stewardship. He's been a bad steward. And so the steward makes a move to provide for himself once he's out of a job. In other words, he's going, hey, I'm going to be out of a job soon, so I'm going to cut some deals. I'm going to make some shrewd deals behind the master's back, and if you agree to shelter me when I'm eventually put out, I'll immediately reduce the debt you owe my master so that when the master becomes aware of what the servant has done, he commends him for his shrewdness. So in the application of the story, Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light in Luke chapter 16, verse 8. So Jesus is contrasting the sons of the world, that's unbelievers, and the sons of light, that's believers. Sadly, unbelievers are sometimes more wise 
about the way this world works than believers. And so the unjust steward just cheated his master, but in, in, in doing so, he made friends with the master's debtors. Those people were later and the debtors ob- became friends. Right. The debtors became friends because the people were obligated to take care of him once his livelihood ran out. So well, imagine I mean with the master. Right. So then comes your verse or the one you're asking about in verse nine. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal Dwellings. Jesus is encouraging his followers to be generous with their wealth, with their money. In other words, is it possible for believers to be well off? And the answer is yes. So, so, so he says, so that in the life to come, their new friends will receive them into eternal dwellings. And so he's basically making the statement, why don't you use the resources that you have right now to make, to point people to Jesus so that you can see him later in heaven? Right. Um, what made me call was, okay, doing what I, what I was instructed. Uh, some are out there propagating the gospel. We can't do that, and so we're giving them, well, sometimes most of our money, almost all of it. Well, you hold on. I'm going to let you finish your thought when you come back, okay? I'm going to have my producer hold you, so I want you to be able to finish your thought. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. John was asking about Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And I, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to finish your thought. Um, I know you, so go ahead and finish your thought. Uh, well, why, what made me think of it was, okay, so I'm out here. I don't got a whole lot. And then <clears throat> I began to think about the world, what the world was teaching me. Save up for yourself, plan your retirement, and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then I saw people propagating the gospel and being discouraged and saying to themselves, if, if God won't supply for me, I'm just going to give up and go back to working for a living. And uh, it maybe took a lot of money on your part, but you gave it to them, and now they're encouraged to go forward. Or a, a homeless dude walking down the street, and you stopped, and, you know, he's walking around with no shoes. And, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're encouraging people, and uh, I guess God cares about that individual, and he doesn't want them to give up. And, well, uh, I was thinking about George Mueller. Sure. You've read about him. Of course. Uh, that woman who was like, I saved up all this money, and then when I saw what George was doing, he needed it, and so I just gave him everything. But in the end, George got the credit. And I would, I the way I would sort of modify that just a little bit. It's true that George Mueller would get credit, but it's not true that this woman has no reward because just like what you just said, God knows, God knows the truth, 
God knows. And it goes to actually the very scripture that, that you're talking about. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. When he's, when he's saying worldly wealth, he doesn't mean money that's been gained dishonestly. He's basically saying, you got money, be generous with it, make friends, that is, bless others, which is what the woman does, use the monetary resources you have to reach others. The result are friendships that endure for eternity. The souls that we reach in this world, here's the key, welcome us into eternal dwelling. So John, imagine you have no idea what your act of generosity has done. You have no idea, you know, you go, well, I, you know, I helped I someone. I that part. Pardon me? I hate that part. Well, you may hate that part, but you there there's going to come a point where your generosity is going to be revealed in heaven. And well, some not, people think I've got some and when I have enough, then I'll be generous. Then I'll give something. And that day never comes. Well, all the more reason to do what the passage says, because you're not wrong. In other words, are there people who say, I, I just really, quote unquote, can't afford to be generous? Now, you probably are aware, probably better than most people, that it seems to be that the poorest people are the most generous people. Um. In, in Proverbs 22, verse 9, it says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And so here you have this concept in the Bible. There is a God. There is a God in heaven who is generous. And so there is this expectation of generosity on the part of... Of, on God's part, on people that he has blessed and that he has forgiven. And so God challenges us to be generous. And you're exactly right. There are going to be those people who will say, no. The answer is no. <laughs> but but uh, there's, there's people uh, who are, they have faith in God. They're trying to follow him. And they just need a little encouragement right. to keep going. Right. And some of and, them are very important people who are doing ministry, and they just need a little encouragement to keep going forward. Well, as you can imagine, I, I without sanding cliché, my pastor used to say, where God guides, he provides. And so sometimes the provision doesn't always take on the form that we had hoped. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it is that God has asked you to do or asked me to do, he's going to make a provision for it. And if for whatever reason it's been my experience that if God doesn't make the provision, I just simply say, then I am willing to just submit to the Lord and and be content that somebody else is going to do this. I don't I don't have to do everything. But again, you know, if you've heard me on this program, there's every once in a while I'll come on the air and I'll talk about my friends like at Bible League or at uh, Food for the Poor or for Cross International or, you know, if we're building wells in, in Ghana or providing medicine in in some remote part of the world. But we know that God in his grace and his mercy is at work. 
But uh, like with Esther, you're here at this time and place. It's your choice. You can help if you want. But if you don't, help will come from somewhere else. Well, and you're exactly right. Because, And you're exactly right that God is seeking people who will reflect his character and model his generosity. And that's part of the disconnect, isn't it? Where people go, I'm a Christian. And the moment that a person says that, there's that expectation, isn't there? <laughs> that you're going to act like one. <laughs> hey, thank you for your call. You're welcome. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. You know, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes that very famous passage, the whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. There seems to be an important point that Paul is making is that generosity really is a choice. Now, obviously, there's a God in heaven who's a generous God and who models generosity, but Paul makes it abundantly clear, you get to choose in the sense of not if you're going to be generous. I think that there's the, the expectation of generosity. So Paul is exhorting the church to be generous in the Lord's work. He praises the Philippians for being so generous to him, adding that it's not for himself that he rejoices, but for them, that they're going to be blessed because of their gift. In Philippians 4.17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So we can imply, we can... I think, apply those uh, encouragements to our lives. And again, the challenge is, how can I be, how can I be generous? How can I be generous? 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. I was talking a little bit about a uh, article that was uh, written by Brianna Rosen at uh, justsecurity.org. It's sort of a, it's a, a simulated president's daily brief on Putin and Ukraine. What's interesting about it is it it's written by a person who sat in on presidential briefs, and it's written in such a way that, um, that it provides information and analysis on policy developments around the world. And Just Security Senior Fellow Brianna Rosen, she's providing a fictional account of Russian Vladimir Putin's mindset, motivations, and calculus. And so I think she does an excellent job of sort of probing into the mind of Putin. Intelligence officials have done not just years, but decades of research on what's going on inside that noggin and what it might mean. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. 
The number is 303-873-1935. Before we went to the break, I was talking about an article that's been posted at justsecurity.org by Brianna Rosen. And in this article, she has a sort of a simulated uh, daily brief on Putin and Ukraine. And what's interesting about her article is she basically, again, is writing it like a briefing for the president. Now, it would be interesting if this is similar to something that the current president might be receiving from liberal colleagues with their worldview. Um, now, what's interesting about this article is that they come to the conclusion that Putin perceives that, again, that he embodies and personifies the Russian state, where, according to her words, he exercises paternalistic control over individuals and civil society. And so as a result, he is more interested in appearing strong and in control. In, in other words, he values order and strength more than more than democratic freedoms or norms, which shouldn't shouldn't come as a surprise, and that Putin vo- views individual rights as a tool of Western interference and a threat to Russia's national security. Now, what's interesting about that statement, quote unquote, Putin views individual rights as a tool of Western interference and a threat to Russia's national security. What happens in Western countries, hence Canada or the United States, imagine the Prime Minister of Canada viewing truckers' rights to protest as a tool or as a threat to Canada's national security. Now, Again, what do we do in a totalitarian kind of left-leaning world where individual rights is seen as a tool of interference and a threat to order? Now, the other thing that's interesting about her um, simulated president's daily brief on Putin in Ukraine is she writes about the state of mind. And and I think she does an excellent job by, you know, by asking and answering that question that is on everybody's mind. Um, so many people have been asked, do you think that Putin is crazy? Has he gone mad? Is he unhinged? Fill in the blank. Uh, so many people have been guessing or, or speculating about his health. But again, according to Brianna Rosen, she goes, there are three competing paradigms or worldviews or explanations about his state of mind, about what's going on psychologically behind at least his decision to invade Ukraine. And the three paradigms that she uses is what she calls a madman, a careful gambler, and a flying blind 
uh, persona. So she she labels these theories, the madman theory, the careful gambler theory, the flying blind theory. The madman explanation suggests that Putin has lost touch with reality and is acting irrationally in part because of his near total physical isolation from society for the past two years during the COVID pandemic. And several um, analysts have suggested that. The careful gambler theory rejects the premise that Putin is irrational. The careful gambler theory suggests or argues that Putin is playing the madman card as a strategic gambit to pressure the West to bend to his will and recognize Russia's great power status. The third option other than he's crazy or he's shrewd is what she calls the flying blind theory. And again, you can find this at www.justsecurity.org where she basically, the, the flying blind theory contends that Putin is rational, but that he's making irrational decisions based on inaccurate information coming from his advisors and intelligence sources and intelligence services that conforms to his worldview. And so she writes that the intelligence community agrees, for the most part, that Putin is flying blind insofar as he's isolated and receiving inaccurate information. But intelligence sources and intelligence agencies are divided on the question of whether and to what degree Putin is rational and on the current status of his mental health. So to address that question, they uh, conducted what's called a red teaming exercise to examine the assumptions underpinning the madman, the careful gambler, and, and the other option. And after doing this red teaming exercise, most intelligence agencies assessed with medium confidence that Putin's extraordinary isolation during the pandemic, among other factors, has affected his state of mind, lending a little credence to the madman theory, that that he is um, increasingly prone to emotional outbursts directed at his inner circle. Now, remember, part of the point is that Putin... um, basically surrounds himself with sycophants, people who will agree with him. And intelligence sources say that if Putin is genuinely mentally unstable, that we would expect increasing visits by physicians to his residence, advisors shielding him from public appearances and interviews, and internal political jockeying among the Russian elite uh, to line up a viable successor for a caretaker government. But one intelligence agency dissented from that view and judged with medium confidence that Putin is playing the madman card to pressure and intimidate the West like the careful gambler paradigm would predict. And so analysts from this agency assessed that Putin was deliberately cultivating a persona of unpredictability to prevent Western interference in Ukraine, much in the same way that the United States president Richard Nixon told his chief of staff in 69 that he 1969, that he wanted the North Vietnamese to believe that he might do anything to stop the Vietnam war. 
But what's interesting about all of this and whatever scenario you draw out, the big question came was based on Putin's state of mind and the current conflict, what is the likelihood that he might make a mistake, that he might, because whether he's slightly unhinged, whether the isolation is beginning to take its toll, whether or not he's getting limited information in the decision-making process, what she writes in this simulated daily brief on Putin and Ukraine, she says, and I quote the article, the confluence of all of the above major factors make Putin prone to risk-taking and miscalculation, suggesting that the potential for escalation is high. That's the key concept. Many news outlets and analysts have suggested that the possibility of nuclear escalation is low at this point. But according to her in this article, according to uh, Brianna Rosen, that the current crisis is such that, that the risk for escalation isn't going down. It's going up. I think she does a, an excellent analysis on that point. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back. Take your calls. Answer your questions. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. On the program, the number is 303-873-1935. We have open lines, so by all means, feel free to call 303-873-1935. Earlier this week, Michael Faust posted this headline at Christian Headlines. University orders Christian student not to talk to students who disagree with her. An Edwardsville, Illinois University violated a Christian student's constitutional rights by ordering her not to have contact with three students who disagreed with her faith-centric viewpoint. Read biblical worldview or Christian worldview. According to a legal organization, Alliance Defending Freedom have been frequent guests on the program. Alliance Defending Freedom, of course, uh, we love them. They defended Jack Phillips. Alliance Defending Freedom sent a letter late last month to Southern Illinois University Edwardsville after it ordered Maggie DeJong, a student in the Master in Art Therapy Counseling Program, from having any contact or indirect communication with three students. The students, according to the Alliance Defending Freedom, complained to the university that her viewpoint wouldn't be welcome or inappropriate. The university offered no basis for the orders, which limit her speech and physical presence on and off campus through the end of the semester. The letter says further that the university acknowledged DeJong's contact didn't violate university policy. According to the letter, the university said the non-contact order was to prevent 
interactions that could be perceived by either party as unwelcome, retaliatory, intimidating, or harassing, according to the letter. It said, quote, universities, especially classrooms where topics are supposed to be vigorously debated, should be marketplaces of ideas, not an assembly line for one type of thinking, said Tyson Langhofer, senior counsel and director at the Alliance Defending Freedom Center for Academic Freedom. Quote, Maggie has always respectfully expressed her viewpoint in class, which every student is entitled to under the First Amendment. The university must immediately rescind the no-contact order, revise its policies to adequately safeguard students' constitutional rights, unquote. Now, again, according to this story, think about what's happening in campuses all across America. There's one worldview. It's an unwelcome worldview. The unwelcome worldview is the biblical worldview, that there might be a God, that sin might be a problem, that God created human beings, male and female, that there is such a thing as right and wrong. Langhofer told the Daily Citizen that DeJong's Christian beliefs are the source of the dispute. At one point, Maggie informed a fellow student that, quote, Well, her personal beliefs are grounded in objective truth by the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the Daily Citizen. So the no, so imagine you, (laughs) you say the J word, the JC word, and the snowflake begins to melt. The no contact orders have prevented DeJong from, quote unquote, fully participating in her educational activities, the letter says, because of the order she can't fully participate in classes with the three students. She also cannot participate in group chats in which any of the three students are present. The orders violate DeJong's free speech protections that are guaranteed by the United States Constitution, the letter says. The letter says legal action is possible if the university doesn't withdraw the orders. But remember, again, (laughs) we're living in a world that is ever increasingly hostile to the biblical worldview. My friend, Dr. Jim Dennison, has again, posted at the Denison Forum, News Discern Differently. He also has posted at ChristianHeadlines.com with this title, Trusting God When We Don't Understand God. Jim Denison says that Russian invasion of Ukraine has entered its second week today. Battles escalated across the country this morning. Explosions continue to rock the capital city of Kiev or Kiev. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky posted a video on Facebook yesterday in which he told his people, quote, today you, 
Ukrainians are the symbol of invincibility, a symbol that people in any country can become the best people on earth at any given moment. So, again, based on on President Zelensky, he's characterized his own people as the best people on earth. Well, given their monumental and heroic stand against Russia's horrific invasion. It's hard to argue with him at this point. When we see the weak-willed resolve on the part of so many people to do something as simple, not just tell the truth, but to stand up for the truth. And again, in the speech that Zelensky gave yesterday, he ominously warned that Russian forces have an order to erase our history, erase our country, erase us all, unquote. So in the days since the invasion began, Jim Dennison said that he's focused on the cultural analysis with regard to Russia's meta-narrative and motivations, Ukraine's cultural and religious heritage and strength and practical ways Christians can intercede, pray, and also support Ukraine. So he talks about the shift, not just from the cultural, but to the theological. He quotes... Psalm 103, verse 19, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. He talks about the sovereignty of God and how the psalmist says, The Lord, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And then reminds us all what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, that a sparrow can't fall to the ground apart from the sovereign will of God. So if our sovereign God must cause or allow or at least – what's the word I'm looking for? If God allows what happens and, – and I think that it's a different view that God causes this to happen. Now, in what sense – are human beings, do they have the ability to choose or choose otherwise? And do corporate groups of people, do individuals make bad choices? Do sometimes families and tribal groups and even nations make bad choices? I think that the answer is yes. But he's asking the question, why is this invasion happening? And again, sometimes God uses military invasions as a judgment against that nation. Does that seem to make sense in this circumstance? I don't think so. God did call the Jewish armies to conquer Canaan, and he used the Persians to overthrow the Babylonians. And he also used the Greeks to overthrow the Persians and the Romans to overthrow the Greeks. But all of that doesn't explain the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So what does? Wish I had a good answer for you, but I don't. 303-873-1935. I'll be back taking your calls, welcoming your questions. This is Gino Geraci. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.